Here we are with uh, the season three retrospective. Yay! <laughs> are those the noises you want to make? Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Are yeah. we not happy about it? I'm happy. I was happy. Was it not a happy sound? It no, it was happy. I was indicating that it was. Are we season, not supposed to be happy? Season three was an interesting season process. Season three had some had some issues. I I I'm still happy to be here though. Yes, and as always, we are happy to have gotten through another season of our show and getting a finale out. Uh, with us this time is our producer Jess, who had some very interesting thoughts and uh, unique perspectives on... <laughs> they had some opinions. That's such a nice way to put it, Molly. <laughs> Jess, over the course of the season, had unique and interesting opinions on... <laughs> just, every word choice you make is just so diplomatic. <laughs> well, I actually... Uh, my thought with inviting you to the retrospective is even though you didn't play, you provided a good perspective that we didn't have, which was as a listener. Because you had pointed out a lot of things that I hadn't even thought of when we were producing the show, when we were playing and also editing and producing. And towards the end of the season, you actually jumped on editing. Yes. So you got to hear all of the stuff and actually make storytelling decisions. And... I voiced a character. <laughs> and you voiced a character. Yeah. Sure, you yeah. are now the voice of Sarastra. Which I am actually, I am very happy about. <laughs> yeah, we were originally going to have Megzi just re-say all the lines. And it would have been fine. But it would, she was going to sound exactly like Celine. Yeah. And I, like, I know that we want her to be similar to Celine in voice and appearance. But... Identical is probably too much. Probably too much. Yeah, and a little bit. Well, I mean, we'll... we'll address that when we get to that part, but... I would like to take full credit for that idea, by the Excuse way. Excuse you, it was my idea. No, that was not. No, it was my, my idea. idea. <laughs> well. Well. Regardless anyway. of who made the decision, the decision was made, and it was, and it was a, good a good one. one. And we're a little ahead of ourselves. Uh, we should go back to talking about uh, the earlier parts of the season. Right. Right. So the earlier parts of the season, we finish up the Vanasi storyline. Yes, the the enigmatic racists that uh, were responsible for a lot of death finally get some comeuppance in the form of uh, their facility being raided and just about the best nat 20 of the season. Almost the best nat, nat 20 of the season. I mm -hmm. think a better one comes later, but we'll get to that. A funnier one. <laughs> to be sure, but, this time around. But a very good one this time around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was that was very funny. Your little boop get wrecked. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was... I was like, oh, the fight's over, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's what Molly was like, too. And that's why I put in the in the recap an anticlimactic ending. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the well, whole ending, but it was definitely, like, of that fight. It's like, yeah. well, it's like, and now yeah, you're going to make the next one really hard. The fucking Vanassi are like... Are you kidding me? <laughs> Run. <laughs> no, I loved that that episode. I loved that fight. That fight was really good. Yeah. And I liked the the DMP characters that were introduced. Yes. Super fun. Slog. In the in the fight with the Iron Golem, there's a part where this will become apparent again later in the season, but I'm really bad at combat. We make this joke, I don't know if it ever makes it into the episodes, but like that I keep saying, I'll remember what dice to roll at some point. You never do. I never do. We yeah. are in, the, we, like, 
spoilers for season eight, we're in the final fight with the big bad, and I'm like, what dice do I roll to heal again? <laughs> a D8. Your brain just is like, I will not commit this to memory. <laughs> I refuse. Yeah. Your brain only has so much information, and it can't go over that amount of information. It yeah. needs to swap out stuff. And I think dice rolls are like the least thing you probably have to... Specialized Sailor Moon lore? <laughs> And nothing else. Yes. <laughs> um, but there's a part where I remember very distinctly, it was at the end of my turn, and I was thinking, okay, on my next turn, I'm going to move out of the way, because this giant iron golem is going to come and hit me if I don't. <laughs> and it got to my next turn, and then I didn't move. <laughs> and I then, that. And then, and then Molly's like, so the iron golem goes up to you, and I'm like, I was supposed to move! <laughs> Damn it! Oops. Damn it, me from the past. You had one job and you didn't do it. And that's when I think Celine went down in that fight at one point, like went to yeah, zero she, hit points. Yeah, she was definitely knocked unconscious mm-hmm. by the giant slab of iron that was that golem sword. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had remembered, and, and I distinctly remember before that, like, hey, on your next turn, remember to get the fuck out of the way. Yeah. And then I didn't. And then you didn't. But this will... You, this... you did that also later in the season as well. I, we were like, I need to move. I need to go do this thing. And then proceeded to not. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yep. That's, that's like I said, that will come up later. Write it down. <laughs> I have started writing it down. Well, it's too late. <laughs> you are correct. We also, in the Venasi Raid, are introduced to the... Crystal officially. Right, it, had been, yes. it had been teased and talked about uh, throughout at least the previous season, if not even season one. Mm-hmm. Um, but we finally got to a point where we actually see it and Celine interacts with it, which leads to later shenanigans. Yep. It also introduces a lore element of the world that we'll get to explore even a, a bit in the upcoming season as to where these crystals come from and what their purpose is. Yeah, those crystals become a thing later as a whole. Mm-hmm. So we, that's have not, an, we have not seen the last of those. Yep. And it's it's one of my more favorite elements that I added to like the the whole lore of the world. So I, I'm, I don't know what you have, what you visualize when you see the crystal, but for me, it's the dark crystal. Like, <laughs> that's all I see. I see something shaped similar to that. Yeah. Is it that big? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's it big. My brain never made it that big. My brain was like, it's just a little tiny crystal that's like this size. Just for she, was, she was she was pressing herself up against it. I thought she was like, no. <laughs> I'm hogging a water bottle for size reference. <laughs> no. And that's why I was like, that's so kind of weird. She just like plucked it out of the air and like pl- hugged no. it. No. No, now no. I understand. No, no, it, it, it was, it's more tree size. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Just to clear that up, in case anybody else made that mistake. Yeah. It big. If you did, tweet at us. <laughs> Join Discord and tell us about it. Yeah, really. Yes, please. Discord link is in the episode notes. After exiting the Venasi headquarters, we have to deal with Celine being a little extra fey wildy for a little bit. Well, right, because she had spent, you know, a good 20 minutes pressed up against the crystal that was, that's... 20 minutes? And no one was like, hey, like, tapped her on the shoulder, like, we gotta go. Like, 
Nope, they were just, nope. she was just like, yeah, stuck <laughs> on it. Yeah. Yes. Everybody else was too distracted by the writings on the wall and uh, the... It sounds ominous. <laughs> and the mural depicting the other crystals. Oh, yeah, I forgot all of that. So, yeah, 20 minutes. Yeah, it was about 20 minutes. Good Lord. So she spent 20 minutes absorbing, like, pure fairy energy. Yeah, and that led to... Uh, some very fun interactions with a, with a bunny. Well, before that, this was there was an instance where this was a good example of how at the table we're really good at like playing off of each other mm-hmm. because Celine was at one point in her bedroom staring at her reflection. Hmm. Yeah. And was having kind of this like through the looking glass moment and you just kind of like grabbed onto that and like, yeah. Sure, go for it. And we're like, yeah, you you run your hand across the glass and it ripples. And yep. Talia, I think, saw that and was like, nope. Yeah. Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> and punched the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. I think you shot it. No, she um she took Dust Whisper and shattered it with the oh, with okay. the butt. Okay. Yeah. But no, I, I remember that specifically I um describing how the reflection in the mirror morphed to where it wasn't truly reflecting the room, but through like a perspective illusion, mm-hmm. only appeared to be reflecting the room. Yeah, and, and just, that's a good example. of we do this a lot where one of us will just be like, hey, can I do a thing? Or just don't even announce it, just like do a thing. And then you'll pick it up and be like, yeah, this happens now. Yeah, we're actually pretty good. We, we normally announce, hey, can I do a thing? And you know. Which, which, signals, to the, which signals to everybody else, hey, I'm about to do some shenanigans. Yeah, something's going to happen. Give me room or something along those lines. But it's mm-hmm. good for communication as far as like, hey, my character wants to do something interesting. So draw attention to it or something. Or it gives you like a heads up to like, okay, my uh, my improv brain needs to kick in. It, it also gives me as the DM the opportunity to be like, hold off on a thing. Something's It'll about s- to happen. Yeah, exactly. But another thing that that in that same vein, when we went to the pet shop, like you said, and Celine was talking to all the birds. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was dying that (laughs) during that entire recording, just Molly's voices and the stupid animals. And I was just laughing hysterically. I took most of it out in the recording, but I was I was on the floor. I was just (laughs) laughing so fucking hard. I think the, chinch- the chinchilla line chinchilla. is... That is probably my favorite line so far in the entire I don't podcast. Know if you, I don't know if y'all listen to the whole episodes, like, past the credits. I know that when I listen to podcasts, I, like, tend to skip them. But at the end of that episode, Chris actually put in... Chinchilla! Chinchilla! At the end of Again, like an MST3K episode. It was... It's, it was so cute! Yeah. But that was another instance of me kind of going with, like, this idea of, like, Selena want to hold a bunny. Since I had already had the, like, through the looking glass wow. moment, I was like, she'd want to hold a bunny. Since we're going with this, like, Alice in Wonderland thing, I guess. Got it, okay. Well, and also it had been brought up uh, that you had seen bunnies with polka dots. Exactly. In the Feywild previously. Yeah. Uh, at this point, Celine had started to become sad, which she is for most of the season. But one thing internally I remember while we were playing this was that she had always thought of herself before, like up until very recently, as a clever crow. At this point, was starting to feel like a fragile rabbit. So she was feeling some connection to rabbits. So she wanted to hold one. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? And that had some side effects. Like that rabbit now has polka dots. 
And is vicious. <laughs> <laughs> Bit off a couple fingers. Sharp pointy teeth. Yes. That was a funny instance of like, because Talia saw that before they left the shop and then did not say anything about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I was like listening to this and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> Celine's going to be mad. <laughs> she didn't think it was that big of a deal. She's just like, well, Which she... blew my mind. The mirror. Whoa, destroy the mirror. Shatter every glass in the house. The bunny. <laughs> okay. I don't know. The mirror was in their house. The mirror looked like a threat. The bunny, what the fuck is the bunny going to do without realizing that it might have teeth? That's the funny part is that the mirror probably wasn't a threat, but the bunny was. Yeah. The rabbits do have teeth, regardless of if they're fairies, yes. by the way. Yes, but rabbits don't normally bite unless you provoke them. And also the fey bunny teeth are more like... Fangs. But still. <laughs> well, very... yeah, that's why she wasn't that concerned Polka about it. Polka dot rabbit, probably. Also, like, I thought we had already addressed fey wild things running loose in the material plane is bad. Well, she, uh, <laughs> well, you no, know, no, here's the thing is we already encountered a fey wild bunny previously that got caught in a trap. Yeah. And it tasted like normal bunny. Uh-huh. So Talia was under the, aside from the skull, it was a, a completely normal rabbit. So Talia was under the impression it's like, huh, that's interesting. Well, there's a fey bunny running around, like not really understanding that it was dangerous because it was so similar to normal rabbits aside from the skull. So she didn't like process that as a danger, whereas the mirror was something that was in her house, like with Celine sitting there in a trance. It's like, that seems dangerous. You know, I have to do something about this. Also... I think Talia was kind of distracted at that point. I don't remember if she was distracted or not. I think they were just trying to like have a fun day with the kids. Yeah. Because so, so much had happened. So let's just let's just let's just let's just leave that in the pet shop and hope nothing bad happens. Well, yeah. it was also like because Celine was so fucking like sad at that point, or she was having like everything that reminded her of Faye. She had, you know, a meltdown about. So Talia was like, "Excuse you." <laughs> kind of. Talia was like, "I'm just not going to mention that." And everything. She's will in be such fine. a good mood. That's not <laughs> exactly. Exactly. She did not want to spoil this mood. They were having a fun day out with the kids, and then when she brought it up later, Celine was very pissed so, off. So, what was going through your mind as a player then, though? Like, for you to be like, "Okay, should I say anything?" Or don't I say anything? And what what were you thinking would happen later when you eventually were just like offhandedly going to mention it? Like I don't know what she Talia likes to do a weird thing where she will just kind of bring up something extreme very casually in casual conversation, and people will look at her very like the fuck you just say. You know that's that she does that throughout the entire series. I apologize, but. I think as a player, Talia was worried in, in her mind that Selene was having a good day. Yeah. She didn't want to ruin this good mood she was in. And by pointing out that she had done something that was bad. No, yeah. I mean, you, you explained that from Talia's perspective. But like you as a player, like Chris, what were you? Were you like ready for the the fallout later? Like, were you like... Oh, I'm always ready for the fallout. Were you like excited for the drama this was going to create? I did not know it was going to create drama. I <laughs> thought it would be funny, if anything. I mean, it you was. weren't wrong. <laughs> it was kind of funny. 
<laughs> like in a morbid way. Yeah, I'm. I'm. When I when we're playing, I don't mind the consequences of things that happen as a player, um, unless those consequences don't really make any sense. And I've had plenty of arguments with people about, okay, this this doesn't make any sense, or this is not the reaction that someone would have. Because I'm fine with my characters dealing with consequences. If my character does something shitty, by all means, go for it. You know. That mm-hmm. makes for excellent TV sometimes. Yeah, be- especially because these characters are bad at things. They're flawed. They're very flawed. They're flawed by design. They make lots of mistakes. Especially right now, where they're still kind of at the beginning of their story. Yeah, so the, I'm fine with Talia does something dumb, and then the consequences of that are either funny or bad or both. And Whatever. Uh, it, well, usually it makes for excellent TV. Yeah. So. So I think... Yeah, characters making mistakes is actually one of the best things you can do at the RP table, as long as it's not disruptive. Yeah. If you're doing a thing, it's like, my my character is an idiot, so they're intentionally going to go over here and, like, poke something. There are some times where, where, like, I'm so sorry, this is what she would do. And then, for, like, out of character, like, I'm very sorry about what she's about to do. <laughs> and... Or uh, there's even times where it's like, I've found myself in situations with Celine where I get caught in this, That's what this is what she would do, but I don't want her to do that. I don't like that. So I'll actually bring it up. Like, this is what I think Celine would do. I don't like that. Help me out of it. And there's two ways you can actually do that. If you have a situation where, like, later in the season, Celine does something at, at a fae party that is about to get her killed, and we work it out, that she doesn't do that. It is what she would do, and she tries, but somebody stops her. But those moments of... <laughs> I just remembered what they were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that's, that. those are... Um, having that communication is, like, my character is about to do something done, dumb, somebody stop them. Those can make for really good moments in the game, and it leads to more you know, more interaction with the characters. More interesting interactions. Yeah, more interesting interactions other than it's like, well, my character would do that, but since it's going to be disruptive, I'm not going to do that, so I'm just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. It's mostly about communication. As far as the bunny thing went, I didn't really see that for being too much of an issue, so I didn't really think so that So you were in Talia's head really in that one? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. It was just like, all right, well, that's what we're going with. And it turned out really funny, and we got to meet another Fae Lord, so that was fun. Well, let's right. back up a little bit, because what happened with the bunny? The bunny bit somebody's fingers off. I actually remember one note I was that uh, if you know the rules of D&D and know the spell list really well, the spell Celine used to restore that lady's fingers would not have worked. Greater Restoration would not have worked. It would have to be Regeneration, which is a 7th level spell, which she didn't have access to at that point. So we'll just hand wave that away. Yeah, well. The fingers hadn't been off for that long. <laughs> right. Mending would have worked. They're, if, they're, if they're freshly bitten off, she can Mending use... would not have worked. We already had this argument, <laughs> and you wouldn't let me. <laughs> but uh, coming back to the Fairy Lord, that actually brings up a point that I wanted to go over with Megzi about Celine's attitude towards fairy lords in relation to herself. Mm-hmm. Because during the season, we learn a lot about Celine's thoughts on the Feywild and fairies in particular. They're not good. <laughs> no, and I was angry about them. I had lots of feelings and thoughts. I know. I was... I was if, if, if I had been in the Grove and I had been one of the elders... It wouldn't have been as nice as Silvaka. Well, yeah, but Silvaka is... 
we'll get to that uh, we'll get to that a little bit later but we we do get to meet a fairy lord that maybe goes against slight, slightly against what Celine's overall thoughts on the face seem to be mm-hmm. uh, Nick Nevin mm-hmm. queen of witches who well she is definitely still not mortal she does have I think a better frame of reference on mortal attitudes and morals. She seems to understand them better than a lot of Fae Lords do. Yes. What's her alignment? I would put her towards like lawful neutral. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's a good alignment. <laughs> it's a good alignment to be. Mm. Just saying. That's interesting. Why would you think that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Just maybe the best character in the whole podcast is lawful neutral. Really? I am not lawful neutral. I know you're not. <laughs> but she has, like, as she discusses with you, that was not always the case. She, yeah. at a point in her life, she definitely would have fallen under lawful evil. Yeah. If you're going by the alignment system. If you're going by yeah. the alignment system. Which, which, we're, which as we've discussed many times, we are very... Loose. Yeah, fast and loose with, which is fine. I like playing it that way. So. It's for the best, considering the the myriad implications of an alignment grid. Yeah. 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 I remember we were talking about Celine's attitude because you were having a hard time understanding it. Yes. And I was explaining to you kind of where her thought process was, where she is, being that she is a lawful alignment, she is seeing everything in black and white. Mm-hmm. And that... Talia is good. Fairies are bad. And I'm a fairy. And I'm not Talia. So I must be bad. Therapy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Salaka. I, I know. She gets, she gets, she's getting to that. And you were like, well, what if she meets a good fae? Like one that isn't all of these things that she has decided fae are. Which, like, Celine, you've met, like, two. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it didn't really work. Like, she was like, oh. That's just one of them. <laughs> and she could turn at any moment. Yeah. Well, that was kind of my thing was that, like, Celine is has kind of decided this is the way it is. And that's not a good mindset to have, but she's also really young. And so she's kind of decided that, no, I know exactly how this goes. And I know for a fact that Talia is good and fairies are bad. And that's all I need to know. But I think that that conversation with Nick Nevin started challenging that notion. Mm-hmm. I mean, she did kind of have that reaction of like, well, she used to be bad. Or like trying to justify how mm-hmm. Nick Nevin fits into her decided yeah. Oh, yeah. perspective on fairies. But Trying it, to put the circle in the square. <laughs> but it did kind of start her thinking a little bit more. Not much, but it did start her thinking a little bit more. No thoughts. No thoughts. Head hate Faye. <laughs> no thoughts, just too many feelings. Yeah. Yeah, Italian never really had that problem because she kind of experienced that with, with people in mm-hmm. general. You know, she could have come out of her experience with all people are bad except for her except for werewolves. But, you know, she lived in the world too long and realized like that's not how this works. So she could equate that very easily to Faye. Of like, yeah, the few we've met are assholes, but, you know, we don't have much interaction with, you know, with the entire population. So it kind of follows suit that they'll all be very similar to people. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I I hope I did okay as, as we went on is I wanted to show, like, how 
similar and yet different fairies were from people on the on the material plane where yes there is still like a basis of whether or not somebody is an asshole but certain mortal notions just don't make sense in fairy and certain fairy notions make absolutely no sense on the material plane if you want to know what it's like to be autistic that is exactly what it's like like some things you allistics come up with i don't know where you got that I don't know. I, I does it doesn't make any sense, and and it has been explained to me, and I'm like this. Oh, it doesn't make any sense. But that was a point of reference for me was that like, okay, as an autistic person trying to figure myself out in an holistic world, it was a good point of reference for how it's just a that both fairies and mortals have a completely different set of ways of making sense of the world. So that was something that helped me kind of figure that part out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it becomes more apparent in later seasons as we start meeting more Fae. Mm-hmm. I mean, spoilers, we will. We meet more I Fae. Mean, it's called the Fae Wild West. If you don't expect there to be more Fae at some point, um, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But as we meet more Fae and interact more with the Fae Wilds, I think that becomes a little more apparent of like how close everything is to mortals and yet how weird and just off kilter everything is. I think Talia has the biggest problem with it. But, you know. Talia is very stuck in the material plane way of thinking. Yeah. She has figured this this way of thinking out and trying to adjust that set of sense-making tools to a person with an intelligence of, what, six? Mm-hmm. She's doing her best. She's trying. She's doing her damn she's, best. She's good at adapting to situations. She can read now. She can read before. It's just very hard and very long. It takes yeah. her a while. Um, but yeah, she she she's very adaptable to situations and she can understand concepts, but Faye details drive her up the damn wall. And the Faye are all about details. And uh, like the like the very specific Faye details are just she does not they do not compute. She doesn't understand them and they get in the way of her logic sometimes. <laughs> That's moving on to later season. Uh, it's af- it's actually right about this time also that we learn a secret of James that he that it, that in fact that library of Venasi books was not his father's but was his. Yep, and he was the one that originally scouted out Talia's community. And, yep. gave, and gave the information over to the three idiots, Brown, Melody, Melody, and Walker. Uh, Walker. So, did you have that planned, Molly, or did so, you come up with it on the fly? Because you tend to come up with the stuff on the fly. So I had planned. Okay, so this actually rewinds a little bit. The initial plan was that James, that James's father, was the one to escape the Venasi. Then that shifted into it was James that had escaped the Venasi, but there was also a woman involved who I don't remember if she died or if she was still technically a part of the Venasi. It complicated things and was it wasn't well thought out. Convoluted. It was convoluted. I think it was shortly after <laughs> it was shortly after I gave Dates, which has always been a downfall of mine. <laughs> naming 
dates, years, or any like span of time. I did the math after I said the dates and was like, nope, that doesn't work. <laughs> that that doesn't work for it to be his dad at all. So it's him. Uh, and then, <laughs> <laughs> so that was you're like, I won't change the years. I won't change the dates. I'll just change the character entirely. <laughs> James was his dad. <laughs> the whole time. James is like, I was living in my father's shadow. Wait, no! The shadow was mine! Crap! Well, also remember, this is this is fairly early. Like, con- considering how much recording we have done, this is fairly early in our recording. Yeah, yeah. this is and pretty bad. Pretty, pretty close up to when we first started. This would We're have still... been. This, this would have been like between January and February 2019. Yeah, that we recorded this. 2019. I know it's just it's an era ago. At yeah, point. because we finished up season three around Chris's birthday that year. Wow. Yep. That's when I decided that okay, no, so it's James. Then I went back and forth on was there a woman that he was. Involved with involved, which I decided was too convoluted. I believe I had actually approached you about that at one point, mm-hmm. Chris. And uh, like, nope, yeah. <laughs> no, because this lady's gonna end up in the fridge one way or the other. She's gonna end up in the fridge. Yeah, the... and that fridge is already very crowded. Yeah, mostly let's just avoid that. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I decided that it was going to be him. And what I did end up improvising, though, on the fly was that he was the one who scouted. Right. So that was improvised on the fly. He said that he didn't realize they were going to massacre everyone, right? Like, he kind of knew that there was violence, but he didn't realize that it was going to be a full genocide. I don't think he even... The way that I remember it going was he did the report on... Like, with the understanding of, like, these people aren't an issue, so we don't need to worry about them. Right. And they aren't those... a threat. They aren't hurting anybody. Yeah, yeah, so he came back with the report saying, we don't need to worry about these guys. I'll move on to the next thing. But those idiots said, nope, we're going to take this. Being that they're not a threat, they'll be easy. Yes. Being someone who grew up in a very religious, toxic environment, you hear about things that people did in the name of a religion or a cause and you think oh well certainly it was justified until you're the one creating the justification yeah until you're the one standing there until you're the one who has to yeah who has to justify it to yourself and that uh, that was something i kind of wanted to capture in james in that particular moment he he had heard the reports from the other werewolf attacks. He wasn't the one who did the scouting on them, according to what everyone said. They were threats. They were threats to the natural order. Yeah, it's that, like, you hear about it, you believe it, because you want to believe, and then you experience something, and you're like, well, this was fine. Like, you know, the innocuous you know, report, or you... You haven't been explicitly told what that evil looks like, just that it's out there. Mm-hmm. And so... And it's bad. With if you are thing. generally, like... Because a lot of the times the messages are, you know, be a good person and you'll get rewarded. So you do the good people things, not realizing that the way that the people who are telling you to be good mean it is to be 
kind of evil. <laughs> yeah. And upon seeing that, upon seeing the true evil, he had a choice. I, th- I think he made the right decision. So that conversation with, with James. Chris, did you have any thoughts on that? Um, I had some. It was really funny. That one took me by surprise because we hadn't discussed it earlier on. And, you know, obviously that's not something that happens in Deity all the time is you don't get to discuss these sorts of things. You know, this was a huge piece of Talia's backstory that is now getting kind of a piece slid into place of how they found them and why they considered them a threat in the first place. But I had like, so I had to make like a quick second decision as to how she was going to play this. And I won't lie, she was a little angry. Really? (laughs) You think? (laughs) Maybe a little? A little bit. She was a little angry, but what was overriding that initial anger was that this was somebody that she had met that literally, you know, what do you need? I'll help you. And has been by their side since that first meeting and has gone out of his way to make sure that they're okay, that their family is okay, and has quickly become someone that she can count on. So she had to weigh that with the idea that's like, is he doing this out of guilt or whatever, but it doesn't change the action to her. So him making a mistake in the past didn't outweigh what he was doing for them now. And, you know, so that's what she went with was that, you know, I don't know who that person was in yeah. the past. Yeah. I know who you are now, though. And I remember somebody being kind of surprised that Talia didn't rip his throat out. Yeah, there were a lot of people that were, like, in the discussion on Discord that were like, I'm surprised that she didn't kick his ass. And and I was very, I was a little concerned by that because I, I know Talia can be a vicious and impulsive person, but she can also be extremely patient. See, and I expected her to just be like, Thank you for telling me. Like, I expected that, like, level, like, in internally upset, mm-hmm. but, like, externally re- thinking about it and recognize. Like, I expected the reaction that she had. That was exactly the character that I thought that she was. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, nope. That's, because that, that's how I would have reacted. <laughs> I, I like Talia a lot because I identify with a lot of her martyring bullshit. Right, yeah. It's how, savior complex. It's how I used to be. And I've I've worked very hard to get away from it, and it's sometimes annoying because Talia feels like a younger version of me in in some ways, where I'm just like, don't do it, stop it, and she does it anyway, and I'm like, your wife's gonna be mad, and then Celine gets mad, and I'm like, stop being mad, it's not making it better, it's not gonna make her stop doing it, because I recognize the response that I received in some cases was, you take too much care of other people, blah, 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 blah. It didn't help, it didn't fix me. Fixing me was me figuring out, no, I'm worth more than being everybody else's stepping stool mm. and everyone else's caretaker, which is something Talia still really hasn't, I don't think. She hasn't quite gotten past that. She yeah. does get better at it. Yeah. I think like throughout the se- throughout the series, you know, her, her self-worth is more tied into the fact that she feels like she's not quite a part of society yet. Um, as much as she's trying to take care of the district and society, she very much feels like she is an outsider. And that ties into her constantly trying to prove that she's worthwhile, basically. Yeah, yeah. but with James, I think that that was a cool conversation. It was a cool yeah. ad to, to have in there. And 
he, I think, was that was the reason he became one of my favorite characters, yeah. if not my favorite character. Going past that, we get into the uh, a series of episodes, Broken Promise, Broken Heart, mm. which has to do with the decommissioning of the dead man's promise. Right, that was the broken promise. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, I had a brain fart where I was like, I know what the broken heart is. What was the broken promise? It was the dead man's. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yes. That one, I think, surprised some people. That one got some reactions from people of like, what? No. Yeah, yeah. I was. Which, I'll be honest, I surprised myself with that, with decommissioning the DMP. I, I surprised myself with that because the DMP was one of the original like core concepts for the Fey Wild West world. Mm-hmm. I had built it because my previous game had gone so horribly because I had everybody starting out not knowing each other, coming in, just randomly joining together. And I didn't want to do that again. And I wanted like a reason that people were starting to like starting with knowing each other. So I created the DMP as sort of an adventurer's guild and darker than an adventurer's guild. Uh, I feel uh, like a, a, a bit dark. <laughs> Our whole premise is we hunt down people and sometimes probably kill them. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah. So like this is fine. extrajudicial justice. It's this is fine. It was based. It's based off of the old timey U.S. Marshals. Yes. Which were where which were also horrible. horrific. Do not do that. Yes. <laughs> Decommissioning that aspect though of the game surprised me, but I felt it was a very good way to move the story forward, develop the world, and create interesting conflicts. I think it, uh, I agree. When it happened, I was like, oh shit. And then I felt that like weight of, especially with the militia. And I was like, oh boy, that, and it, it brought it all the way back to season one when you guys fucking handed those plans to the military dude. And I was screaming, (gasps) listening in the car. I was like, no! <laughs> you idiots! I was like, oh no, they're too trusting! You fucking fools! And like, the moment that happened, the moment you guys said that, I was like, oh, they're screwed. <laughs> and then, of course, what happens? Victoria Gresham is gone! Where has she gone? I wonder where she fucking went! Well, we discovered where she probably is. <laughs> yep, yep. That gets talked about. Too. We do. Uh-huh. Yep, we do indeed. I actually but... really like. <laughs> yeah. So mad at. I was like actually emotionally mad at you guys. And I messaged you. I I, I, I remember this I was actually. Like, Are you fucking kidding me? Did you guys not fucking realize that handing those plans to a military person might be maybe a bad idea? We might have, but our characters wouldn't have a reason to. Which. <laughs> Why did you like? I think I was most mad at Talia because I was yeah. like, you trusted authority. Well, her her justification was that like because I was th- I actually in the moment when we had that moment going back to that season, <laughs> yeah. um, in that moment, like I had a conflict of like this feels like a really bad idea, but Talia has no real understanding of how the government works. <laughs> Talia's too dumb. <laughs> yeah, she, no, 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 it's not even that. She has no- To be suspicious. She had, like, I think the first time we went to Airpike in the in the entire series was the first time she ever went to Airpike. Yeah. She had no understanding of what the government was like, and the only times that she interacted with the government 
was like sheriffs mm-hmm. or constables who she had both good and bad relationships with depending on where they were. So she was just straight neutral. Straight neutral on it. But if you add in the fact that they are now part of the DMP and she's trying to make a good impression and not be too much of an asshole. Too much. Too much. I mean, she definitely was just like handing one thing at a time. Well, okay, he was an asshole to me, so now I gotta be an asshole Yeah, so, but I was thinking about it. I'm like, Talia would have no reason why this would flag as a bad thing. Like, if they want evidence to put Victoria away or kill or, you know, execute her, they kind I guess they kind of need that. Yeah, but no, nothing I, flagged for Talia as to why this would be bad because the government had not really given them a reason mm-hmm. to be, you know, as soon as Victoria disappeared, though, they were like, oops, we made a stupid. Yeah. I actually really like that they did it. Though. I know it because the DMP, the DMP disbandment and the, the creation of the militia, I was like, this is all your fault. <laughs> it kind it of makes, is. It makes for wonderful for makes for wonderful television because like them ho- handing those plans over to the militia, it haunts them both. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's very good, but I'm still mad about it. Oh, they <laughs> are too. <laughs> they are too. And if actually, I could watch them from the past, they'd be screaming right along with you. Yeah, you fools. Yeah. Oh god. And it, like it just that that weight of the militia and the fucking military parade that was like almost immediate. Yeah. And it was just like, ugh, ugh. And that, this is this is completely this feels exactly like the direction this motherfucker was gonna go. Like, oh no, that guilt and that weight of that decision that carries out far into the podcast. Yeah. I will say. Mm-hmm. One thing that I. I wanted to do with this, with the disillusion of the DMP and the creation of the militia, especially right after we got done dealing with Brown, Mm -hmm. where it was, you know, Brown versus Lord Vinalden, and it it was uh, in, in their political race, and it was just like... I think at one point, Celine was even like, vote Vinalden! Yep. Yeah. Yes. And, yep. and I remember, I remember at that, that, that point when I, when she, I had her say that, like, the little, like, thing in the back of my head was like, mm. yep. <laughs> He's probably not great either. Yeah. But he's yeah. Politicians. <laughs> you don't stand for them. Also, also. So we won't do that again. <laughs> Lord Gallen Van Alden Third. Yes, the first the, time I see him. The, he's the third. His father and his grandfather before him. All had stupid names. <laughs> <laughs> and were all Lord Mayors. Hmm, I wonder how that happened. <laughs> but you guys are, you're out in the desert hunting bad dudes. Bad dudes. And making money off bad dudes. Kind of being bad dudes yourself by doing it. Like, there's, it's morally questionable bounty hunting. Actually, it's in, extremely morally bad. Don't do it. But like, Yeah, don't. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> we're, we're lucky that in this world, all of the people that Selene and Talia have hunted down have been truly bad dudes. They have not. But <laughs> <laughs> if you go back to season one... As we got further into the story and we started applying more critical thinking and especially later in our recording as police brutality became more apparent, we all had to kind of confront the privilege that we had to not realize just how big of a problem it was or it, it is mm-hmm. just how big just how big of a problem it is. I mean, hell, the 
DMP slogan, break the law to, to keep, keep the, the peace. peace. Uh, yeah. I think one thing that makes fiction fun is that we can look at it as its own little sphere and say, yep, this is the context of this, and it's fun to follow two gunslingers, a gunslinger and a death tolls for the <laughs> fucking cleric around the desert while they hunt down mass shooters up and cut their heads off and get money for them. Like, it's totally removed from the real world, and we can look at that and we can go, yes, this is fiction. And then we have to come back to the real world. Yeah. And it's, it's a balance of trying to yeah. make sure that it's not so far removed from the real world that it's, I don't know what the Totally word. unrelatable. Total, totally unrelatable yeah. and, like, irresponsibly negligent yeah. of the real world. Yeah. But then also having that, yes, but it's fiction. And so and trying, to find, trying yeah. to find that balance is something that I think we do a pretty good job of, but it's something that we definitely became more cognizant of as we continued I recording. I don't feel, and this is the perspective of someone who doesn't deal with police issues on a daily basis, but I feel like your approach to it has been very pulp. It's been pulp enough that it hasn't crossed a line into mm-hmm. like, like Celine and Talia aren't looking, they're not on a mission to, to break the law to keep the peace. They're just trying to make money. Yeah. Which is kind they of, just want to eat. It's kind of that amoral, like, shade over it to create this 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 story that doesn't veer into okay these two people are clearly in the wrong all the time mm-hmm. like they're clearly just committing state violence for the sake of it because they enjoys the violence part yeah and so i think the the balance of everything else plus you've got all the the Faylord stuff you've got all of the um you've got the kids you've got the magic crap you've got Talia's werewolf backstory and you know all of the things that happen especially in this season bringing all of the 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 things we've talked about and the things you hinted at and finally we get to really see concrete examples of these things mm-hmm. and like scary concrete examples of these things but i think that that took away enough from the horrible history of the wild wild west in this country to not make it as painful to listen to or like as uh problematic if we want to use the fun fun word and this whole this whole thing has been a learning experience of how to pay homage to the wild west tropes and setting that our story is based on without glorifying the really problematic parts of it and so I think I don't think you've glorified anything about it. To that, be honest, that was that I'm was like, what we're, that's yeah. what we're hoping for. Wow, this place sucks. <laughs> yeah. And as far as Talia's backstory, we've tried to negate a lot of the the some of the things that would just lend it to be a just a huge trope. Yeah. Um, her her community is not a tribe. Mm-hmm. Her community is not just you know people of you know all werewolves. It had all sorts of backgrounds all sorts of it was a, it, it was, was a, it was a it was yeah. a community I, I feel like really the only thing is that indigenous person experiencing genocide as part of their their life is like i when when talia's family gets talked about i don't i don't envision them at all being analog for native americans yeah mm-hmm. that was and the goal it, they're not supposed to be yeah it doesn't i don't get it at all 
It, I don't feel it at all. Yeah. Not all of the people of color in her community were werewolves. There were, you know, it was like oh, werewolves are not the allegory for, right. you know, <laughs> First Nation individuals. Yeah. yeah. You know, there were all sorts of werewolves. There were all sorts of people <laughs> that weren't werewolves in her community. Like family members weren't always werewolves. So it's yeah. like, you know, her community was multicultural. And I've worked really hard to, like, make that a huge point. Like, this wasn't like, the you know, the race of werewolves. Yeah. The work... The work that you put into that aspect of her story, I think, sh- I think it shows. All right, we gotta beat up a principal. <laughs> yeah, we totally intended to go in there and throw fists. <laughs> yeah, I know you did, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, 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 because yeah. yeah. no one's gonna fucking arrest these two. <laughs> Not after what just happened. <laughs> we turned ourselves in for a million dollars. <laughs> Five Wait. million. What? <laughs> was it five million? It was yeah. five hundred thousand gold, which would be about five million dollars. Oh, okay. Was it five? I thought it was five hundred a piece. No. It was no, two fifty a piece. Oh, right. Well, no, anyway. I, I already. I, I cut <laughs> the part out where I was just like, "Damn it!" Just the brass balls <laughs> to walk in there and be like, "I'm turning myself in." What? <laughs> you see that poster? I'm turning myself in. When do I get the money? I think, was I the one that, that asked if we got the money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, but do we get paid? <laughs> Through some goddamn loophole. <laughs> so good. So good. And that's what I like that you guys go into priori- the fucking... Our priorities are so... <laughs> no, no. That was legit. That, that honestly... Legit, and then you gamed that system super hard because you fucking won. Anyway, but going into the headmaster's office, I was like, "This is gonna be another one of them situations." <laughs> oh boy! And then, and then you finessed it, and you were like, "Give me my fucking money back," which <laughs> almost probably hurt him more than if we beat him up. Oh yeah, oh yeah. If you beat him up, he'd be like, "Aha! Yes, I was right about them." <laughs> but instead, you, he was like. Hmm. <laughs> I'm losing money. I'm a, my reputation. I'm about to commit check fraud. <laughs> <laughs> I think she did Celine say something about like committing bank fraud as a yeah. bad look. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. oh, you fucking owned him. Yeah. And kind of. That one <laughs> you could own him. Like. That one was edited so well. Yes. Like well done. Chris, you edited that one? Yeah. Well done because like Did you just ask Chris if they edited it? Well no, because they were because sw- Chris Chris and Molly switch off. But the mix. The mix was and Chris always edits. No, no, I was talking about okay. the, the rough the edit. Rough because edit. Okay. you made them, especially at the beginning where Celine and Dick Face are going back and forth. <laughs> You made that sound so clean and so sharp. And I was like, how was this before you edited it? And you were like, it was gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> because none of us can speak with conviction. And Chris made us sound like we were speaking with such conviction. And so, well done, Chris. Which is so funny because now I've played a game with, with y'all and you saying we don't speak with conviction. It's something like, we've worked on we a worked lot. On really hard. Yikes! Well, you guys did a good job. Yeah, it was something we had to like constantly remind ourselves. It's like, all right, stop saying kind of like. Stop saying we it still, looks like. We still do it, and but sometimes we still do. Yeah, but <laughs> we're working. On, we're still. It's it's a work in progress. I'm here to be a good influence. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that we got the money back somehow. <laughs> somehow. So, yeah, we were able to get the money back, but, um, but we also learned that Jareth 
experienced his first heartbreak. He got dumped. Yeah. Got dumped. What was your thought process behind that development, Molly? I don't remember my exact thought process, like, behind the reason why I decided for it to happen. But looking back on it, it seems... It, just, it makes sense from a narrative perspective, I thought, to introduce that sort of conflict for Jareth at that point. I think what it really did was it showed that the Venasi was not a one-off, you know, group. They had their influence in everything. Yeah. And even, not even them having influence, that was just something that they took advantage of. Like, that was probably already a... F- fairly common viewpoint in the world was people were uncomfortable with tieflings or others and then the Venasi were like thank you I'll (laughs) take that and they ran with it but showing that just because you know y'all burned down their their house and their other house and (laughs) they're two killed two of their generals and the other one's on the run because you guys are so fucking badass like they're not gone like Mm -hmm. that that those those thoughts and emotions and feelings that people have prejudices are not gone for good. Mm -hmm. Like, they're still there. And I think that's what Al's breakup with Jareth really did, was it kind of drove that home. Like, this didn't just... They didn't cure racism overnight. Like, one court case didn't fix the world. And I really liked it because of that. Like, it was still... It's painful. And it definitely had that, like, that real-world tinge of, like, the disapproving parent breaking up the homo kids. Like, you know, but, like... (laughs) <laughs> the homo kids. <laughs> but it was way more realistic within the frames, within yes. the, the, the frame of the world yes. that we had created. Yeah, and it was, it, it did a, it did a lot. I think you're right with the narrative. It, it was very, it was a wise choice. Yeah. I feel so bad for Al still. Yes. Like, I know that we focus a lot on what Jareth is feeling, but I can't imagine what poor Al was going through at that point, which is one of the reasons I had Celine reach out to him. Mm-hmm. Because like she knew Jareth was gonna be fine. He was it was he was gonna hurt for a while and it was gonna probably carry at least a little hurt for the rest of his life, but he would be fine. Cause he had a lot of people that loved him, but she didn't know Al well enough mm-hmm. to really know if he had that. But she did know that he had an asshole father. And so And a sister that was like way far away. A sister that was way far away. Like she knew that he had a big family. Because Nikki told us. Mm -hmm. But she had no idea what he was going through emotionally and was just like, hey, you know, call me if you need something because, like... uh, Do you need to be kidnapped? Because we will. We have a secret house. (laughs) (laughs) No one will ever find you if you don't want them to. Yeah. And looking back, I keep finding myself sneaking bits of myself into into these narratives. Really? Really. <laughs> the author <laughs> reveals themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but this like th- this was a lot of how I was made to feel growing up. I had I had a lot of siblings, but I was the oldest. And while Al was not the oldest of his family by any stretch, he was the only boy mm-hmm. in the entire family. And that puts a lot of pressure, especially when you have a misogynistic asshole for a dad. That attitude of needing the approval of his father mm-hmm. is definitely something that I dealt with a lot growing up and honestly still struggle with sometimes. 
laid to rest, which... Oh, boy. That was heavy. And... It was heavy, but also there, I feel that there were some mistakes on my part. Uh, th- like, yeah, it, big yeah. ones. <laughs> Thanks. There was, there was one really big mistake, and it was wonderful. All right. All right. Laid, Getting, to, laid to rest. Laid to rest. My good old friend. <laughs> <laughs> laid to rest was a very heavy arc that I feel that I made some missteps. Uh, so, Chris, what are some of your thoughts on this particular arc because it was there was some heavy stuff for Talia. It was pretty heavy. I knew she had to confront what had happened and that she still had some issues as far as that she was kind of angry with her family a little bit. Back in season two, they had already like spoken to the pack, as it were, mm-hmm. like a child that was a representation of all of the pack, to which the pack told her that what she has been working for most of her life at this point was a mistake or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. It was basically like saying it's like you shouldn't be doing that. You know, just just let it go. <clears throat> and she took that very hard. It got her like really thinking about her pack's role in their own demise. And she wasn't really blaming them for, you know, getting murdered, obviously. Mm-hmm. But the mentality that the pack took was one of isolation and how much she realized she disagreed with that and how that isolation forced them to not know that this was happening to other packs. And by the time they did know, their reaction was to hunker down and hope it didn't happen to them. Yeah. And she totally, she's like, it wasn't our fault that we got murdered, but it was definitely our fault that we didn't know about it. And they didn't do anything about it. I didn't do anything about it when other people were in trouble. And she kind of makes this vow that like this entire district is her home and she's going to do her best to protect it. And she's not going to hide. And she's sorry that that's not what they wanted, but it's, it's what she feels she has to do because Mm -hmm. this, her home is gone. This has become her new home. And she has a family that she has to take care of. And so this, like, she had to have this heart-to-heart with all of these graves. And, um... Do you want some tissues? Nope. Uh, Are you sure? Yeah, no, I, I can get through it. This, actually, I took from personal experience. Because my mom passed away before uh, her and I could have a heart-to-heart. So I kind of used that emotion of, like, getting her to listen to me about things and that definitely came across yeah in 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 the recording so uh, i'm i'm i'd like to think i'm a pretty good actor there was an act there was a moment at the end of season two in the courtroom scene where talia loses it on stage um one thousand percent acting i was acting there this moment in season three i wasn't really acting because i was talking to my mom yeah and that was pretty heavy and then molly threw me a curveball and it's like hey dad showed up and i'm like fuck i have nothing to say to you because i'm too like emotional to deal with this Mm -hmm. so but it was a nice moment of talia being able to see her dad Mm -hmm. Um, but you know considering you know she wasn't expecting that i wasn't expecting that 
So I probably would have had kind of a better reaction if I wasn't already ridiculously emotional. Yeah. But yeah, it was an interesting scene. How did it go for you? Something that we have learned throughout the entirety of this podcast is I have difficulty telling when people are acting versus when they're actually feeling extremely strong emotions. And some or both or both. And so we I've yo-yoed between trying to make things challenging, then seeing then interpreting moods I see as oh no, this is too much, and then trying to dial back and swing the opposite way. <laughs> well, some of us only swing one way, Molly. But I'm... <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Fucking terrible. Fired. Like, I was just like, what do I say to that? In addition to that, another thing that I felt, I, I feel that you and I, Chris, had difficulty with was getting on the same page as far as Talia's relationship with her pack and with her with her revenge because mm-hmm. that was something that I definitely messed up the with the first meeting of the manifestation of the of the pack right because I was coming in with these ideas that revenge is never a good thing. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of, that's, that's initially where my head was at. And however, you challenged that, you forced me to challenge that idea in my head. N- not necessarily that, you know, <laughs> the, obviously not that the answer is to go and kill people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea that forgiveness isn't an end mm-hmm. or doesn't have to be an end. And that was something I beaten into your head as a religious kid growing up. Mm-hmm. Which part? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is like you're supposed to forgive, forget, move on, and it's a heavy form of gaslighting. Mm-hmm. It's a, forgiveness is such a personal choice that it's weird that it, that's made like a, a almost like compulsory. Yes. Yeah, but when you're told when you're taught about Jesus and how. You know, he forgave everybody's sins and shit, original sin, all that crap. It's not a personal choice. Forgiveness is not a personal choice in a religious situation. Yeah, I know. And that's really strange to me. Yeah. Because it is a a super personal choice. And and so remnants of that had stuck around to, to haunt this, the first interaction. And I felt by the second time I had, again, trying to come back the opposite direction. The reason I had Ro show up was to just kind of be like, we were wrong. Mm -hmm. We as the pack, we were wrong for what we did and what we said. Mm -hmm. I think it was also, we were wrong about you. Yeah. Like, because what I got out of it was that they don't agree with the concept of revenge but they can understand the concept of justice. Mm -hmm. And initially Talia's quest was purely revenge. But as we found out that the Venasi were still alive and kicking 
and still killing people, it became more about justice and bringing this organization down rather than just the satisfaction of putting bullets through the head of heads of the people that killed her family. Right. Yeah. I was glad for the opportunity to try and fix what had been done previously. I'm not sure how well it worked. What are your thoughts? I think it worked out okay for Talia to get some sort of closure mm -hmm. when it came to that whole situation. Because when she first started out, she was under the impression that there were three people out there that killed my entire pack. And I'm going to kill them. And then... As the story goes on, we learn that this is not three people. This is a group of people, and they're doing it to other people. Like, this is systematic. And it's happening. It's not just her pack. It was other packs. It was not even just her pa uh, other packs. It was other people, tieflings. Like, anybody considered, you know, outside. Mm -hmm. Like, and that changed from this is a bigger problem than just my revenge. These people need to be dealt with. And... When she heard from the pack to, like, you know, you shouldn't be doing that, I, I think it hurt her in a way that it's it's hard to describe. I mean, if you've ever had a parent, you know, be disappointed in you, I think that's how she took it. Mm -hmm. Like, because she was doing this for her family and for herself. So to have them say, don't be doing this, it felt like a slap in the face. So I think it helped out a lot that Roe personally said, like, you were right, we were wrong. And, you know, do what you need to do. With the, our first visit to Talia's village, it was almost like meeting the spirit of the pack. It was like, you're all at peace. You're done with this. I'm not. I still have to live in this world with these people that want me dead. How fucking dare you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You don't have the luxury of resting. Yeah. Like, you yeah. don't get to just lay down like you're actively being hunted. <laughs> and and I, other people are. Yeah, it wasn't just... If I think if it was strictly just three people that decided they were... Like, yeah. for some reason decided to go kill them for whatever dumb reason it was, then it would have been a soul like, I'm gonna... They fucked my life up, I'm gonna murder them. Yeah. You know, but it turned into this is a wider problem. This is a problem that is not affecting just me, but affecting, you know, people that I know. My, ch my, my child. My child. Yeah. Like, this This is a problem, and it's become less of a... It's become less of revenge and more of, like... Justice. Justice. This needs to be taken care of. It speaks to her caretaking spirit. Like, she very much cares... She has a lot of empathy and sympathy for, for other people who are suffering and struggling. Mm. And for them to have said, well, you need to just stop. Impossible for Talia. It's impossible for her to just stop when there's the fucking Venasi out there. Yeah. Like that would, it basically was, that's like her, her momentum, her motivation is get them. Yeah. <laughs> and save everyone. Yeah. That's Talia's, that's her driving force and it's her biggest fucking problem. Yep. Is I have to save everyone. She has to. Yep, that's, She's got the Superman complex. She definitely Or the does. Sailor Moon complex. Yeah. Superman. So oh. I, th I think it helped out that Roe basically admitted they were wrong. Mm -hmm. The miscommunication did not end no, there. But we'll get to not. that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. So. But in the meantime. In the meantime, something epic happened. Yeah. So... 
Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah let's do that. Bali, how do you feel about that particular instance? So the particular instance we're talking about is Celine, more specifically Megzi, uh, <laughs> getting one over. No, <laughs> fucking no, wrecked. No, let's, let's give it to Celine. It was all Celine. Okay, well, Celine wrecking the broker. Mm-hmm. Oh and my all gosh. Of your little plans. And <laughs> getting his name. So I actually kind of had that in my back pocket. Not not necessarily like I knew it was going to happen because obviously I had no idea that I was going to go check on the horses and then, oh, you're in the glade. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck. Like, I almost had her go back, like, nope, and just leave. Yeah. But I had a feeling that wasn't going to work out and I kind of wanted to see what would happen. I had this idea in my back pocket because at the point that we were recording this, we had kind of just finished up, or we were finishing up, we were in the middle of season one, mm-hmm. releasing season one. And when we were, when Celine was in Airpike in the hot tubs, and the broker came to visit her in the oh. hot tubs. <laughs> yes. I hate him. <laughs> He's a fucking slimy creep, and I hate him. Well, anyway, <laughs> he, you, you are correct, but um, <laughs> when he was like, hey, don't give people your name, and then later was like, you can ask me one question. <laughs> and you were like, why didn't I ask for his fucking name? That would have been perfect of like, don't give people your name because you'll have power over them. Like, well, what's yours, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, damn, why didn't I do that? What the fuck is wrong with me? And then, so I kind of had that in my back pocket of like, okay, if I get another opportunity for this, I want to see how it goes. So really funny. You had actually told me that. Mm-hmm. Like, if I ever get that opportunity again, I'm totally going to ask for this. And I'm like, that'll be so fucking funny if you do that. Now, alternatively, I'm, I'm pretty good about not being, uh, you know, not not letting spoilers mess with my gameplay. Um, so Molly runs things by me sometimes to just, like, bounce ideas Meanwhile, off of. I hate spoilers. Like, yeah, Megzi do not tell them. me what's going to happen. It will mess with my performance and my ability to stay in my character's head. Yeah. Chris is a rock star and can handle it. I cannot. So sometimes Molly is just like, hey, I have an idea. Can I run it by you? Or something like that. And she actually informed me that the broker was going to actually use Talia's family as a way to try to get to Celine. And I'm like, that'll be interesting to see if she can do that. I do like in the back of my mind I was going I don't know I don't think Celine's going to go for it but it will be interesting to see him try. So I knew that both of those things had a potential of happening and it was very funny for them to happen at the same time. Your whole speech to him answering his question without a riddle like we're just Respond, answering what he wanted to know, which was why, why won't you let me do this thing in exchange for the titles? Your whole, because you're not the undertaker and their measurements were already taken and that's the way that it fucking is. How could you not possibly know that about me? Secondly, I don't think you're fucking that powerful. <laughs> which was so good. Just be like, I don't think you can even do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Which is interesting. Because he couldn't. I and I knew it. I fucking knew it. What? Okay, so he said he would bring her family back. He said he would give her her pack back. So if Celine had taken the deal, what would have happened? What would have happened is anybody that Talia identified as a close enough friend would start acting in a way that wouldn't necessarily be 
congruent with their personality, but instead more congruent with an actual pact member. No! (laughs) (laughs) I'm really glad that that didn't happen. Yeah, that would have been weird. Yeah, Yeah. I I feel like that would have taken the whole show in a weird direction. That would have taken it in a really wild direction. Like, I I feel, and and I feel like Celine and Talia's relationship at this point, I don't want to say it was tenuous, but they had had some friction and they were still kind of trying to figure out how to navigate that friction. That especially, oh man, if Celine had taken that deal, one, she would definitely be a hypocrite after getting on Talia's case about taking two deals and the thing with Death Whisper. Mm-hmm. And she would have the guilt of like, altering her friend's personality mm-hmm. and the guilt of however it was going to affect Talia. And Celine's already a big sad this season. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah, that would have pushed yeah. her into a very dark place, I feel yeah. like. So, <laughs> a very scary place, possibly, as well. <laughs> so I was very glad that you did not take the deal, but I was at the same time surprised. <laughs> the, and the third point that you made, which was that Talia already had her family. Mm-hmm. Which was like perfect ending, like absolutely, just like fucking Disney movie <laughs> quality. Th- this has a this has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and they're all fucking excellent, just good. And then him being like, "What's your question?" <laughs> my question. What's your question? Man, whatever. And then <laughs> just fucking pulling that out and be like. So, uh, so fun fact, in the editing process, I did not edit that particular part. What is your name? And that beat of silence is legit yeah. what was left in. I because wish, Molly's jaw just like fucking dropped. I wish I could have bottled the look on your face because it was like you looked at me and it was like the words didn't really register. Yeah. And then it was like, you just did that. Yeah. I was so fucking surprised that you went along with it. Like, I was... What I, well, he had to. Well, no, well, like... The broker had to. Yeah, but, like, when I was when I was sitting here thinking, like, this is... Okay, here's my opportunity. Here's... Here it is. Here it is. I'm thinking, this isn't gonna work. This is not gonna work. This is totally not gonna fucking work. And I did I did get a nat 20. You did? I blew all my luck to get that nat 20. Yep. And I, we, like, blew the mic out screaming, and I know you had to, like, turn it down. <laughs> but I was like, this is not gonna fucking work. What did you expect Celine's question to be? Honestly, I didn't know... I I had no idea. I was so focused. That I was so focused on the deal. <laughs> I, I, I was still focused on the deal and her not accepting. <laughs> so when so when the broker's demanding why was it also Molly demanding? That was, no, why? that was very much also Molly like wanting like, why not? like like wanting to know why. But yeah, the the, the broker like it, it was it was definitely the broker just needing needing to know. Where did I where where did where did I miscalculate? Which yeah. is really funny because like his character is all about so is bad. all about like these plotted details of what of and things. It's funny because there are many moments where you two and particularly you, Celine, catch the broker off like his footing, and he's like, "This isn't what I wanted. This isn't <laughs> what I expected. I have to recover. Give me a second. Like when she slapped him." <laughs> Now, this is actually something that is very interesting because the broker has Talia's number. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we, he, he's shown time and time again that he 
has Talia's number. Mm -hmm. He's gotten two deals out of her, and he barely had to try for the second one. He has never been able to get Celine's number. (laughs) Yeah, she won't give it to him. (laughs) She keeps giving him a fake one. (laughs) (laughs) He keeps calling, like, the pizza line. (laughs) God damn it, she got me again. (laughs) It's shown... It's shown several times through this season. The broker just cannot get a grasp on what Celine wants. Because he's thinking of her like a mortal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's not thinking, and the and he's not thinking of her as what she is, which is part fairy, part mortal. Mm-hmm. And I think he really can only, at this point, conceptualize people as fairy or mortal. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's. The reason he can't get his number is because her number hasn't existed in his... <laughs> the in- number you have dialed does not exist. <laughs> yeah. Would you please hang up and try again? <laughs> 404 not found, you know. Yeah. In the, in the brain mm-hmm. database. Well, and he's... Uh, it, to me, his he's very much viewing her as the child that he manipulated. Mm-hmm. And that he got to do what he wanted. So, and he's been, you know... Pulling her little puppet strings, or he thinks he has, and, like, has expected things to go his way, and now that he's directly interacting with her, it's not going his way. Yeah. He's like, but you were you were five, right? <laughs> five? Is that human? <laughs> Age? You're like a child, right? Still? And he probably, he sees her very much as a child. Yeah. Because he's ancient. Yeah. But, like, well, yeah, ancient for her. Um, but, like... To me, that's what I get from him is he is he's expecting to be able to do this because he set in motion what he wanted with using her. He has used her multiple times and now she's using him back and he's like, you know, like that. <laughs> and so you asked for his name mm-hmm. and that pause, that moment was just a series of holy fuck, she did that. And I was thinking, holy fuck, I did that. I was just like, oh. Is there a way out? Nope. Nope. No. Plainly asked, simply asked, and without a riddle was the request. Yeah, I went through each of those in my head. It's just like, yeah, he's fucked. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm okay. Behind the scenes, you're like, shit, I need to find a name. Yeah, yeah. I pulled out your laptop and I was like, fairy name generator. I had, I, okay, to be honest, I actually had envisioned at some point you getting his name. Mm. It was certainly not that early. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was thinking, like, second to last season, maybe. LOL. Nope. (laughs) Got it in season three. (laughs) But, yeah, so... There was, I, I do, as much as, as much as I love the way that this went, and as weird as I think the story would have gone <laughs> if we went the other way. Yikes. It is an interesting exploration, because one thing I remember you talking, telling me about, was that if Celine had accepted the deal, and that he got her titles, he would have taken Longfellow's titles, and he also would have gotten the Wanderer in white. Yep. And... Considering that one of our themes and one of the themes that starts to be evident in this season is the theme of identity, Mm -hmm. that could have been an interesting storytelling 
aspect mm-hmm. is now the thing that you identify yourself with and you have for a number of years is gone. Now all you have is yourself. What do you do? But I feel like that would have gotten overshadowed by all of the other weird that was going yeah, on. Yeah. 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 And I, I agree. So it's one of those things where it's like, that could have been interesting. But as we know, sometimes we get stuck on concepts. Yeah. And the concepts don't exactly pan out well in a narrative sense. So that's one thing that I like. Okay, that could have been interesting if we could have made it work. But I don't think we could have made it work, especially knowing what we knew then versus what we know now about how to produce this show. What was really interesting to me was your was Celine's reaction of, oh, I'm in trouble now, which, like, I got, I understood, but, like, I really feel like the broker should have been shitting his pants a lot more after that one. Like, just, I feel like he should have been way more careful than he was with them. But he, instead... Threw a temper tantrum and was like, I'm calling him my deal. You can't see your children anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Like, dumb. Because at that point, too many things were in motion. Yeah. And it was either everything goes according to plan or everything explodes. That whole moment of getting the broker's name is like the highlight of my whole life. (laughs) Like, I hope not. (laughs) My wedding day was great, but <laughs> but this moment, sex is good. But have you ever gotten a Faylord's name? <laughs> Listen, I've done both, and one of them is far superior. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember going to work that night. Like I fucking did it. I fucking pulled it off, and like my heart was just hammering. Like no, I all remember that night. night. I remember that like, night. <laughs> I did it. I did it. The only problem with that moment now is that she spends the entire series after that trying to recreate that moment of like, no, don't tell Molly about this so I can like surprise her. It's like, Magsy, you did that once and it was great, but the DM needs to know details. No, you don't understand. I need the glory back. Yeah. But anyway. I'm sure you got it eventually. I mean... Coming past that, we get to the Sundial Inn Mm. and another one of my regrets of the season. Talk a little bit about that. (laughs) Please describe your regret. (laughs) I want to hear all about it. Risden. Risden was, was supposed to be showing how the broker was interacting with other people in the world. Mm-hmm. And how he was active and making deals continuously, which I feel was a concept I was kind of stuck on. I felt I needed to to show that he was, in fact, making other deals. But you had already shown that. I had. And I don't know why I didn't feel that was enough. Yeah, like you had made that you had made that clear with Raven and and Victoria. And Victoria. And, and Victoria and Marla, which I don't remember how much of that we cut, but I think we no, we didn't cut that. We didn't cut that. We left yeah. it in. We left it in because because of that. Mm-hmm. Because that showed that gave context for that the broker was not because she wasn't in District One at that time, right? She was in District Two, right? So that gave context for that the broker is doing stuff all over the world. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine to keep having characters that are clearly in cahoots with the broker whether or not they remember it. Yeah. And there were... Choices. There were choices. Choices that 
fed into some issues that I uh, that I seem to repeatedly have with mother characters. Elaborate. <laughs> An issue that comes up with Risden is something that we address in later seasons more directly is I I have an issue specifically mother NPC characters that are neglectful of their children. Um, Not just neglectful. Like straight up like villainous too. Yeah. We get in, yeah, Victoria aggression and Risden herself is, as we learn, as we learn later, is she is. Uh, she sold her son for a robot. She sold her. <laughs> she sold her son for a robot. Traded him in. <laughs> Got a better model. This one sings <laughs> and doesn't talk back. <laughs> I think that even though we realize this was a prevalent issue within the narrative later, I think that it plays well into one of the other themes that becomes more evident this season of the whole story, which is family. Mm-hmm. That is true. And how you have troubles within families. And with Risden, it's on several levels. It is. It's not just her own <laughs> poor choices, shall we say, but it's also that her own family is putting so much pressure on her that she feels forced to make these choices. And again, as I'm, because we're going through this, I'm realizing more and more of how much of myself I put in these stories. Shut up. You're just realizing this now? <laughs> oh, honey. <laughs> but uh, that, that, that pressure, that, that familial pressure to be a certain way, to perform, or ex- you're expected to do certain things, uphold certain values... It has definite resonance with uh, aspects of my of my actual childhood and life in general. I think that really shows how great tabletop games can be to work out issues that you have. Like, it's not a replacement necessarily for therapy or medical care, but, but it like, can be a therapeutic experience. Yes, and it's it's really neat to be able to explore those issues in a. Uh, storytelling environment, a collaborative storytelling environment, because you have other people who are then providing different perspectives indirectly mm-hmm. on the things that you're going through in your head, which is really it's it's uh, an unorthodox form of therapy. But it's very interesting, and I think there needs to be more papers written about it. Definitely. However, it happening during a, what's supposed to be a podcast yeah. for, for production is is not necessarily convenient. No. No, but it's but part, it happened. But it it's, happened, and it's part of just this form of storytelling. Yep. Like we talk about how we have a very limited rewrite process, and we're employing a more thorough one going forward. But this is kind of a product of it: is that you realize how much of yourself you're putting into whatever you're doing, and you kind of realize, oh shit, that's a thing. I didn't realize that was a thing. Yeah. And so, even though this is a, you know project for production, it doesn't mean that you have to put aside that therapeutic aspect of the experience, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, part of the part of the thing is, it's like, this is still like, even though we have a rewrite process, even though we have heavy editing, this is still a Dungeons and Dragons game. All of this is happening 
it like at the table. Yeah. You know, there's very few times that we have gone in and specifically outlined what's going to happen. It has happened and we've told people that many times, but um like 95% of the game is at the table. It's a game. It's a game. Yeah. So stuff happens kind of on the fly and we have to react to it. And, you know, and it's also why sometimes the narrative gets lost, which is fine. Yeah. Yeah. It it just it happens. That's part of this this form of storytelling. Yep. It's it, not polished. No. Yeah. You can polish it. You, we you ha- we have a little more opportunity to polish it with in the editing process and especially going forward with more of a rewrite process. But you kind of get what you like. We can't record re-record entire seasons. Mm-hmm. We yeah. can record additional content. We can re-record scenes that we think were completely off base. But we can't re-record entire seasons. Yeah. That's just not a thing. So I, it's just it's just kind of one of it's one of the things that makes this form of storytelling really great. But it's also a pitfall. Mm-hmm. If I could change one thing about what happened with Risden, though, if I could go back and change one thing, I would not have her attempt to jump. Yeah, mm-hmm. that seemed kind of like a forced Peach conflict. Yeah, it it. Most what does it. that mean? <laughs> it's a term from that Lindsay Ellis came up with, which is um, how in Lord of the Rings there were times when there were forced conflicts that you could tell that Peter Jackson came up with. Ah, uh, yes. which we use that. This sounds like a forced peach conflict. conflict. Yeah, I tried actually to to remove that. Yeah, like in the editing process, I did my best to, like, can I get rid of this? But there was. It just wouldn't. There's too much before and after it that surrounded yeah. that. Yeah. This would have been a good. Uh, th- this is an example of now with this more through our rewrite process that we have going forward into season four and beyond. This would have been a really good opportunity to re-record this part. scene. Yeah. yeah. I don't hate it. Yeah. Personally, if I made that decision and then I found out and I forgot about it because of magic and then someone was like, no, you did this. I would be like. Well, where's the knife? Like, <laughs> I would be that distraught that instantly. It's that's so much like to suddenly remember mm-hmm. what you did, why you did it. Your family still doesn't really like you. Like you didn't gain anything from it except this oh. fucking hotel that is, uh, you know, a singing robot and you get to keep your family hotel, but you got rid of your child. Like I think all all in that moment, she was like, none of this was worth it, and I don't deserve to live anymore. And it really did feel, it didn't feel out of place. It felt, it felt, it felt authentic to the listener? Yes. Okay, that's good. Yeah, to me, I was like, no, that ma- that tracks, that makes <laughs> sense. Risden seems like kind of a dramatic person <laughs> in general, but also like, or she has the propensity for drama. But like that, I mean, his room was still there. like. Did Talia show her the room? She will tell. What ended up happening was that Talia was searching and right. found it and left the door open when right. she got out of the room to like, oh so, shit, I don't want her to see me in her room. So, or in, I don't want her to see me like in her private area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she walked in because the, the door was open and yeah. re- and saw this dusty room yeah, that was a child's full room. Full of children's shit. Yeah, yeah. That, and that like, there was no uh, letting her down gently on that. Yeah. Like there was no, it was, the evidence is here. This child exists and you got rid of him to, in your, in your, 
just shitty mental state surrounding you wanting to save your family's business, like... You sacrificed your family. Yeah, you you got rid of what should have been the most important person to you at this point. Like, Mm -hmm. holy crap. That would be so heavy to suddenly feel and just the weight of, like, wow, I'm a piece of shit. That would be what would hit me. And this is... And this is... What's interesting to me is that, yeah, Selene agrees. You're a piece of shit. Like, she has zero sympathy for Risden, which I think shows a couple of things. One, Selena's incredibly immature. We know that. But also, her her capacity for compassion is limited. Mm-hmm. And especially because the broker was involved, when Risden was having her fucking meltdown after her suicide attempt, and I think Tali was trying to figure out how to fix this, mm-hmm. Selene was like, fucking rot like she was looking at Risden who had made this horrible decision and was like you deserve every ounce of pain that you're feeling you did this horrible thing I have no sympathy for you I hope that you spend the rest of your life miserable we're leaving goodbye Talia on the other hand had a completely different reaction which was this absolutely sucks but I cannot begin to comprehend what it's like to not have support uh, like yeah. the the fact that she couldn't go to her family that is alive and well yep. and able to unlike help her, Talia. unlike Talia. fucking yeah. estranged for what reason really? Because like, she wasn't doing great at the business. Like that was it. And none of them stepped up to help because they're yeah. assholes. Like it just was. Yeah, Talia comes from a community that is very fixed on community, and she's trying to get mm-hmm. back into that mindset of like. All of this district is my community, so I have to take care of it, or I have to make sure I take care of it. Just coming off of, like, a conversation with her father of, like, I'm going to protect the district, Dad. Mm -hmm. And now she gets into a situation where she meets somebody who has living family that is actively making sure that she is going to fail. Yeah, antagonistic to her. Yeah. Talia cannot comprehend that. So, to her, she understands why this person broke she doesn't understand why she made that decision, but she gets she she can't put herself in that mindset of like not being helped. But the fact by that family. she can't put herself in that mindset kind of aids her in being able to show sympathy for this person. Exactly. Yeah. Which Whereas is why Celine she tried had to the help. exact opposite reaction. Celine yeah. came from somewhat of a like dog eat dog orphanage world. Where and rebelling she was very was, good at eating other dogs, and rebelling was the only way that she could have any kind of like freedom or individuality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, Celine is is well, you made your bed, you fucking lay in it. Yeah, like, and meanwhile, Talia's like, someone else should have helped you make your bed. <laughs> like, <laughs> where where is your family? Who made your blankets? <laughs> like, there's, you know, complete, just such, and it was really cool to have that, those two different perspectives, because you could feel that. Like, Celine was, like, radiating, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Yeah. I didn't agree with her, and I was annoyed, but, like, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it made, and Talia, like, Talia, I felt, I was a little bit like, oh, that's a lot nicer than I thought Talia would have been about it. Like, I didn't think Talia was going to be like, no, jump out the window. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We shouldn't have held person. Goodbye. Like, I don't think that's, I I wasn't expecting that. But, like, I was expecting her to be a little bit more, like, tough lovey about it. Like, 
get your fucking shit together and we're gonna you need to figure out how to get your son back and this place is not worth your child but like it was she really she was a lot nicer than I thought she was gonna be and I don't think it was out of character that was the other thing that Celine was really pissed off at Risden about after the suicide attempt was like you fucking did this to yourself your kid is now in and the broker has your kid and you try to take the well in her mind you try to take the easy way out you try to kill yourself fuck you that's definitely not the right mindset, but it's right. like, how dare you try to just leave, leave the mess that you left behind yeah. for the peace of the afterlife? Ugh. Yeah, and it, it's Celine's view of the afterlife and death and stuff is obviously... Very different from everybody else's. Yeah, it's obviously coloring that because, you know, for most people who aren't followers of The Undertaker... Which, which is, is like everybody. Most people, death is the end. Yeah. That's it. And for Celine, it's not... Celine doesn't know what's beyond the door, but she knows it's not the end. And she knows that it's peaceful and restful, but she, she, even though she doesn't know exactly explicitly... Unless somebody keeps is. trying to bring you back for conversations. <laughs> the dead but, should stay dead. <laughs> She's such a fucking hypocrite. Yeah. <laughs> but hang on real quick while I resurrect this Venasi asshole so I can wring information out of his soul. Was I wrong? No, you're just... A hypocrite. You're also 20. I'm also 22. <laughs> my, I can justify my actions. A child. A child. <laughs> a child. No. <laughs> a baby. But, but yeah, and this is another point of tension between Talia and Celine. Mm-hmm. This, this difference of approach with Risden. And it kind of came to a head when the broker was involved and... Tali was like, can you open a door to the glade? Celine was like, absolutely not. Yeah, I thought that was a dick move. I didn't think Talia should have requested that from her. I was like, no. see, T- yeah, Talia was in a in like a one track mind of like, all right, gotta figure out it. the problem. Yeah, gotta fix it. Gotta yeah, fix it. It's like we're gonna fix. It's very Capricornian. It's also very dog. Yeah. I'm on a trail. This is the trail. We're going here, and like. It's, it's very, you do a lot of things unintentionally. I think it's because you really know your character very well. But you do a lot of things unintentionally that perfectly fit your character. And you do the same thing. Where it's just like, you and you both have told me, I don't even think about it. I just do it. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oprah. <laughs> uh, si- sitting at the table with these two, with these two, Oftentimes, I'm not sitting at the table with these two. I'm sitting at the table with Celine and Talia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's a Acting. very specific <laughs> mindset that, like, you put yourself mm-hmm. in. And you and that's another thing with this, like, improvisational storytelling is, like, you have to be in your character's head. Or you're just going to be like, I don't know what I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, there's been a couple of times where you're, like, I, I it's going to sound really bad. Um, I don't really have this problem. Because you, you're a fucking rock star. But you, We've been over this. You tend to like have moments of like, I felt like I wasn't in Celine's head or I felt I did that badly. It's like, no, 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 you did fine. And I usually listen to it and I was like, no, I was great. What was I talking yeah, about? Yeah, and you did, you did that most recently in another game that we're playing. Yeah. And I was like, no dummy. You're <laughs> perfect. <Yeah. laughs> it's, just, it's a thing. But um, getting back to the friction between Tali yeah. and Celine that this mm-hmm. caused, I thought what happens later where like Celine is angry doesn't really tell Talia why she's angry mm-hmm. part of that is one because she feels too many things all the time but the other one is she doesn't really understand why she's angry she's just a ball of emotion and she's upset and Talia is asking her to do a thing she doesn't want to do 
and it's really, really hard for her to talk about her feelings because she feels a bajillion of them all the time, which is why she t- tends to just kind of close up. Mm-hmm. Very Piscean. I thought it was a good evolution from the fight that they had in season two was that after after they had, after Selena had gotten upset, Talia had stomped off, they had a moment to cool off by themselves. Selene apologized mm-hmm. explicitly. I owe you an apology because... And then after she had time to think about her emotions, she explained where she was coming from. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily perfect, but it was better than what happened in season two with their fight, oh. where it just kind of ended. Nothing really got resolved. It got resolved in the sense that we figured out why that we were being manipulated. Yeah. But nobody really apologized for <laughs> yeah. what they had done Are we on playing? either side. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a painful one. Yeah. And I obviously expressed my opinions about it yeah. to you yeah. multiple times, probably. Yeah. But I love Celine growth. I'm, uh-huh. I'm rooting for her. Mm-hmm. Grow up. <laughs> She's working on it. She's yeah. 22. Yeah. It's, I think, something that Celine has to, and maybe she never recognizes this because a lot of people don't. Her way is not her way or the highway. Mm-hmm. Other ways are not wrong because they're not hers. Mm-hmm. They're other ways. Yeah. And it's... She's starting to realize that right yeah. now. And it's it's difficult for her, but she's also... when The thing is, when she watched Talia stomp out, she's kind of had this moment of like, holy shit, I could lose my, my partner. Mm-hmm. My partner could leave. This I can't. I can't let this happen. Yeah. I can't keep behaving like this. Yeah. I have to do so. I, I know I have to do something. Yeah. To, to make sure that my partner is okay mm-hmm. and wants to stay with me. <laughs> that happens at the carnival. Can we talk about the other thing that happens at the carnival? The funny? With Stahl and Calaman. Holy fucking <laughs> shit. That was, like, Oscar level. <laughs> yeah. Not even... Like, that's not even an exaggeration, that whole sequence. You fucking particularly, stole the show. Yeah. Absolute upstage. Everyone else, go home. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't no, to. don't be sorry. Why have you apologized? Are you kidding? I was over here just like watching. Like I'm so fucking proud. Both me, and Celine, and I were just like we are so proud. <laughs> I, think, I think my wife's cheating on me with someone. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Just like. And you, you were like, not no one's rolling. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> like, yeah, no, you just no. tell me, sit back and enjoy the... Oh, yeah. no, I have to be a character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you were making... The fact that, like, Chris was performing so well. It was like, you don't need to make the roles. The acting roles are doing themselves. Yeah. And I've had DMs that do that, too, where they're like, if you role play it out, you don't have to roll. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually I will require, like, some kind of roll, but I'll often, like, either drastically lower the DC if the <laughs> RP is good or add some sort of bonus. That instance was just like, nope. I completely forgot about roll. <laughs> We were all just so fucking, like, entranced by how good, just just fucking out of the park. Yeah. Well, it was really funny, because I watched you do that. Uh-huh. And uh, Tally at that time actually was, was getting a tattoo, which we actually did a role play of what happened in the tattoo shop. Yeah. Um, I cut it completely out, <laughs> because it was the most boring interaction like it wasn't it was, even good it wasn't even like good was it going to the bank hunt. level of 
No, it was there was nothing there. Like we introduced a new character that I knew for a fact never ever came back at all. This character was the tattoo artist. That tattoo artist never occurred ever again. We never brought him back. And the interaction was so dull of like what was happening. It's like, yeah, I'm getting a tattoo. That's great. What do you do? Like that was that was most of the conversation. Oh god. It was bad. It was small it was, talk. It was, yeah, that was bad. It. it was small talk. And it was so un like and even the character who was supposed to be kind of interesting because they were unique was really boring. And I don't that's like I don't know what we were thinking, but neither of us were it was just boring. I said Molly. We can't. We, we can't let stop. people. We can't let people know we did this. Yeah. <laughs> and here you are. <laughs> well, I'm just telling people that we did this. <laughs> no one's ever gonna hear it though, because I deleted it. Unless you go I to still the have the raw. Yeah. So we we deleted that. But I was listening to her go through this whole thing with this guy, and I was just like, it would be really funny if Talia showed up later saying that her wife is like was being cheated on with like somebody else or something like that. Like I thought it would so be beautiful. funny. And so I like hyped up her over aggressiveness and it, and everybody loved it. So it was it really, was, it, was, so it was a lot of fun. I just like, I had that on and my Chris was listening and was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> like I was losing it. <laughs> like that's probably the hardest I've ever laughed listening to the podcast. Like, there are times where I have screamed at the podcast, <laughs> where I have barked to laugh at the podcast, where I have groaned at the podcast. That, I was, like, crying. <laughs> and I know that I make you cry laughing all the all time. All the time, yeah. And I was like, finally, it's been returned. <laughs> it's so good. You're so good. And, like, you st- just the your fantasy southern accent is consistent. Your your acting is consistent with Talia, your characterization, and just the level of joy that was put into that scene. It was just a fun scene, especially after all the fucking heavy shit. Yeah, like yeah. we was... needed some levity, and I think that I think that actually because that happens before <laughs> Celine apologizes. Yeah, I think that kind of primed the listener for like things are gonna get better, better yes at least temporarily <laughs> going back to the conversation that Celine and Talia have where Celine apologizes we were talking briefly about how you end up putting yourself in whatever you're doing and Molly you've talked about that this was an instance where I put my I could really see how I put myself in Celine mm-hmm. don't look at me like that <laughs> <laughs> judgment sorry I'm I'm the friend therapist and I just like ever I've had a conversation with Megzi where I've been like, yeah, Celine is very much you. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I had to explain in great detail all of the things that are the same. And Megzi was like, oh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it was really good. Because I don't design my characters to be like me. Yeah. I try to make them almost as different from me as possible. I think the one that is intentionally the most like me is Dispel from Bonus Round. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Because she's a jerk. But anyway, so in that conversation, Celine tells Talia, I wish I could be more like you. And that speaks to one, Celine's struggle with accepting herself. Mm -hmm. But it's also an incredibly personal thing for me because I spent a good chunk of my adult life wishing I could be more like the people around me instead of accepting myself as the way I was. Yeah. And what, what I had to learn and what Celine needs to learn is that there's more than one way to be a good person. And 
what Selena's seeing right now is that there is only one way to be a good person, mm-hmm. and that's to be Talia, to be Talia <laughs> and not to be me. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that two steps to be good: be Talia, don't be Celine. <laughs> She's she doesn't know which one to take first, and she doesn't think she can because she can't. So <laughs> the disguise kit. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> the it's mask. not working. <laughs> I'm just told out now. <laughs> so that was something that, as we were listening in retrospect, I was like, oh, there, there's me from the past trying to be something I'm not. And right now, in this moment, Celine was mm-hmm. thinking about, I don't think she was trying to be something that she was not, but she wishes she could be. And that's a step that she has to learn yeah. how to overcome. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. So we ruin it in the next uh, arc. Mm. It's not the next arc. This is the same. The harvest is the same. Is it the it? is the end yeah, of the harvest? It's the same. It's the, it's a two part piece. Mm. Yeah. So um, I was angry. <laughs> this is another instance where I'm bad at this game. I'm bad at combat because when Jareth came out of the house and was attacking, it was my turn. And then I said, all right, on my next turn, I have to block Jareth. I have to move because I think I was flying. Mm -hmm. I need to move to block Jareth and, like, shove his ass back in the house or at least get in between him and the adult man trying to kill him. And I forgot. (laughs) I did put myself between him and the adult man trying to kill him. But my brain, like... So this is before we had I had a conversation with Molly about one of my major triggers, which is... Kids in danger. My anxiety spikes. Yes. Hardcore. When I see in like a movie or a book or any source of media that has kids in danger. It it, it has not, it has gotten worse over the years since I've worked in news. Oh God, yeah. Wow, boy. Mm. Um, but it, it's always been a big, big thing for me. And I can actually pinpoint when it started. Was it Poltergeist? It was Poltergeist. There, the movie Poltergeist... Um, there is a moment where that little girl is in the TV and they're talking to her and she's crying about like how she can't see and everybody's concerned. And then all of a sudden, this disembodied voice of this child goes, mommy, there's somebody here. And the whole scene, it's brilliantly done. The whole, I'm getting goosebumps now. The whole scene tenses up and changes. Everybody like gets this look on their face because you can't see the child. The child is in danger and somebody's coming towards it. I can pinpoint that exact moment as like every time in media now there's a kid in danger, I can think back to that one scene and get goosebumps thinking about it. So Horror movies give you trauma. It's true. So I have an anxiety spike every time there is a kid in danger in media. So in this game, we decided to put some kids in danger multiple times before I had to tell Molly, please stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. For the love of fucking God. One of the times, so when Jareth was in danger, my anxiety was kill the things that are trying to kill him instead of the more logical reason, which is push the kid fucking back in the house. Yeah. Like, and shut the door and take it off. Like, you know, he can't get out that way. My brain kind of kicked into overdrive a little bit. And also, Molly actually had to reassure us at the table, which I cut out, which was, I'm only doing this because I know that you guys can bring him back immediately. Which I hated immediately. I was like, I see where this is going and I don't like it. Yeah. It cheapens this whole thing. 
that scene was kind of a mix of everybody fucked up (laughs) and we shouldn't have done that. Yeah. That would have been another one that we probably would have redone, done something different with um, Mm -hmm. if we were employing the same kind of rewrite process that we are going forward. Yeah. I think it would have been better if he was just in danger and we did get him out of danger. He got hurt or Uh something and but we we got him out of danger and he didn't actually die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But since he did die, (laughs) this is part of the story now, I think it's interesting the different reactions that Talia and Celine had to him dying because it shows kind of what you were talking about earlier was is Celine's attitude toward death. For Mm -hmm. her... It was just a close call. He tripped and hurt himself. She can, you know, she can fix that. But for Talia, who lost her entire family, it was a PTSD re-traumatization. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting how they both regard the idea of death differently. My biggest issue is, like, we see how this affects Jareth briefly. Yeah. And then where did it go? Yeah, that it's kind of a drop thread. Yeah, which I I was like, hmm, where are they going to fit that one in amongst the rest of the things that are going on? We won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We just won't. And one thing I well, one thing we kind of agreed upon when we started this is that we're not going to go back and change things once they've been published, unless there's something really, really problematic that is brought to our attention that needs to be taken out. We don't want to be George Lucas and continually going back and tweaking things and changing things all the time. Retconning your entire fucking universe. Yeah. Yeah. And so once it's been published, unless it's something really egregious that we all agree needs to be changed, if it's just kind of a bad storytelling choice, it's staying in. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I understand and I don't like. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you but you understand the, yes. the logic behind it. So. Yeah, I have a degree in editing, so I'm just like, fix it, fix it, fix it. <laughs> well, now you can help fix it, fix it, fix it. Yes, I know. So I will. <laughs> Moving on. Moving what on to that bad after decision. That? After that, we actually start trying to get to the Grove. I think mm-hmm. you and James have a conversation beforehand. The you got horse? really upset with us in my conversation. Just, oh, was this the conversation that I got mad at you about? Yep. yep. The sleep. Uh, yeah, I was really mad about this. Did I post this in the Discord? Which, probably which part did. were you mad about? The, how Talia talks to James. Oh, how she's bossy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I fucking hated it. The funny thing is, is what I was what I was envisioning is now James has gotten to a level where she sees him as Pack. Yeah, it just felt like she she, she sees him as Pack, so she starts treating him as if she were a member of her family, mm-hmm. which in turn means she basically like gets to shoot the shit with him and like treat him like a brother, mm-hmm. to which her family was all about like you know. The whole, like, hey, idiot, you know, or mm-hmm. like, you know, that that camaraderie that you have with uh, having lots of siblings because all of her cousins were considered pretty much her siblings and all of her family, like, treated each other as all big, bro- you know, brothers and sisters, basically. Yeah. So you had that kind of a like, relationship. And so she, in turn, started treating James like that as if she was this person was one of her brother or one of her cousins and I don't think that translated very well into mm. the recordings it sounds like I'm bullying him it does and it it completely this is probably one of the moments where I was like who is this talking which I was confused because Talia is typically 
the gentle, like, let's have a conversation and let's, I'll listen to you and shit. And she just did not listen to him. She had no sympathy for him. There was like just no kindness in the things that she was saying. And I know that you intended there to be Mm -hmm. and that there was that thread of it. But to me, if one of you did that to me, I would not talk to you for a very long time. And not just in the way that James was like, oh, I feel guilty about taking their help. Mm -hmm. I would not talk to you unless you fucking apologized for the way that you talked to me. And Talia does not apologize for the way that she talks to James. I don't think that, like, when we were in the process of it, we were even thinking about it that way. Because Talia was trying to, like, banter back and forth with him and treat him like a sibling. And the way that you played James in that was very mopey and, like, it was... It was just off. The whole thing was off for me. Yeah. I, th- I feel like that conversation was kind of impromptu. Yeah. It, it, it was. It was... Like, we were getting ready to head off. Mm-hmm. And... Wait, before you go. Before you go, let's have this in-depth conversation. I'm about to berate you. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was very, it was very off. It, yeah. The, the entire conversation. And when I was editing it, I didn't really realize, because again, I was in Talia's mm-hmm. mindset there, which was she's starting to treat him like a sibling. Yeah. And so that's how it came across to me. But then listening to other people, like specifically you being like, why is she being like this? It's like, and we have this moment, like, this is why your feedback is so valuable, Jess, because we'll be sitting there like, oh shit, that is what it sounds like. <laughs> God damn! <laughs> I didn't think it sounded like that. Yeah. I had a completely different perspective of it. Yeah. So it, it helps to have someone that isn't necessarily in the, wasn't part of the recording process to be like, this sounds shitty and here's <laughs> why. And then we can be like, oh yeah, you're right. Or mm, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're wrong. But in this case, you are right. Yeah, yeah, it did sound bad once we like sat back and listened to it. It's like, damn. I mean, I can't say that Talia ever stops being bossy because mm-hmm. around this time mm-hmm. is when she actually starts remembering that she was supposed to be the, the the alpha of her pack, and she was being like trained to be the next alpha. So she starts thinking about that like really hardcore. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how? an alpha functions in a pack situation like that because we because you have a very specific idea of how an alpha is supposed to function and it's not necessarily how the colloquial idea of alpha is. Yeah, um, alpha as far as the, the way that I built the pack system in this, and it was mostly me, um, sometimes going to Molly for stuff. How I envisioned alphas was that It was bringing in the mix of what actual wolves do in the wild and what actual wolves do in captivity and kind of mixing those two together. So alphas, there's technically two in a pack, or usually it's supposed to be two in a pack. It's a two pack. Most of the the time they are married, um, but they're not, they don't always have to be. And alphas are... Uh, mainly they're to facilitate talks with people outside of the pack. Like if someone comes from the outside or they go in the outside, the alpha is usually the one that talks to those people. They handle anybody that needs to be turned or is in the process of being turned. Only the alpha, especially in Talia's pack, only the alpha gets to physically turn them Mm -hmm. if they need to. They also are always present with a... um, 
a younger individual that is going through their first full turn. And they're also the ones that are usually helping people. Um, they're organizing things. They're making sure that people are make everybody's getting fed correctly. Everybody has enough food. They're usually on hunting parties, and all of those duties are split between the bo- both of the alphas because that's a big job to do. Yeah. So the idea of the alpha of the pack is pretty much the pack's caretaker. Like they're making sure everybody is is well and fed and taken care of and making sure that they're protected, basically. But the actual pack structure is very diplomatic. So when there's a problem, everybody gets together to discuss it. Everybody gets together and has opinions and they kind of just debate over whether or not they need to do something. And then the alpha will implement it. Nice, okay. So that is the the structure of an alpha. Talia starts taking that seriously. She like was she's everybody's dad. Yeah, she starts being tra- she was being trained to take to take over being alpha. I think the idea was that she would marry somebody who was a full wolf so they could take over the actual like turning process. And because... instead you married a fake. I know. In that a case, mistake. Well, in that case Save it life. would be the oldest of like the oldest wolf full wolf that would be able to turn somebody that would take over the actual turning process but talia would be involved in it so yeah so talia starts taking that seriously at this point so you know she does tend to be bossy that never really goes away i remember we were we were editing like that had been brought up like talia is really bossy and we're like what no she's not no she's not and then literally the next thing out of talia's mouth is an order like no she like bosses james around like three separate times (laughs) and i'm like we're like hmm (laughs) maybe she is talia maybe is a little bossy (laughs) she is a bit bossy so the other thing that happened in that that arc was we learned uh where or Celine's origins. Yeah. Yeah. So, Molly, I would like to know the thought process behind that before we get to Migsy's thoughts on that. Uh, the thought process on her being... Celine being related, like, literally related to The Undertaker. Way back. 2019. The before time. <laughs> I think I had the idea that she was related to The Undertaker way back when you told me her backstory and speaking to The Undertaker... Like when she was little? After, yeah, when she was after little. After her family died? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure I had the idea way back then. I don't remember I don't remember what made me decide to reveal it at this point. Just that I felt it f- would fit into the, narr- like the narrative we were having at the time. Can you remember why you made the decision to make her related to The Undertaker? Or did it just seem to fit? It seemed to fit her character really well. How so? It, it had to do with, I am not afraid. Okay. It just felt right to me that this child, this, at the time, seven years old, going up to essentially shake the Undertaker's hand. Accepting she was about to die. Accepting she was about to die. That child has, <laughs> that child has a unique relationship with death. And I've, I felt that it translated well into a, a sort of familial relationship. See, when this reveal first happened, I was dubious. Really? I was dubious about Celine being literally blood-related to The Undertaker. Because at that point, I was really married to the idea of choice mm-hmm. being more important than destiny. Yeah. 
I, yes. Choice being more important than something that had been predetermined. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really loved the idea that Celine had been the, Celine had been the one to choose the Undertaker. Mm -hmm. And obviously it warmed up to the idea that she's literally related to him. But at that point, I was like, well, damn. Hmm. I guess my choice didn't really matter after all. So I was dubious and... I have opinions. What are your opinions, Jess? I don't like it. You don't like it? (laughs) Mainly because of what you were saying and and that it kind of creates this, like... Well, she was was born to be special. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, she... It's almost like a chosen one kind of thing. Yeah. And there's... Like, there is an inherent specialness in certain people because they were born for a certain thing or from a certain family or from, like... And I don't like it. That's fair. Yeah. It's it's something that I purposefully stay away from in all the things that I write Mm -hmm. and create. My whole thing is anyone can be special if they choose to be. Which is what my initial... Initial reaction? Which is what my initial intention was with Celine, was that she was special because she chose to be. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't... I think that she... You can still make that argument is that, yes, she is special because she chooses to be. Mm-hmm. And she chooses to be the way she is. And so I've... War- I mean, obviously, I've warmed up to the idea. And I think it kind of... It works because in the recording, you can kind of hear it in my voice of like, huh... <laughs> All right. Neat. And I think we had to redo it, didn't we? Because, because... You didn't have the right reaction? No, because... Okay, y'all, I'm autistic, right? I don't get implication very well. Oh, right. We had to re-record yeah. it because Molly did not spell out specifically to Megzi that you and, I, you and I are related, Celine. You know? Oh, yeah. So we had to re-record it. So that Celine, like, basically, no, you know, with no Megzi knowing it. Yeah. yeah. And then she could have, like, an actual reaction. Because she just kind of went, like, okay. <laughs> like, in the first one, she's like, interesting. And then I had to tell her later. It's like, no, you're related to The Undertaker. She's like, oh. <laughs> oh, that's what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very bad about getting implication. And very bad about coding my my own speech to have the right implication. And so I think that it worked okay in the narrative, though, because later it's like it didn't really sink in with Celine until later. And she was like at one point, like later brushing her teeth and just started screaming. Yeah. (laughs) Because it sunk in. I am related to the Undertaker. Literally, he's my dad. Yeah. No, he's not your dad. Yes, he is. Great, great, great. He's my dad. Great, 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 great. Great, great. Because she had been she had been calling. She had been saying the Undertaker is her dad since she was little. Like, that probably got her in a lot of trouble at the Church of the Mother. Yeah. Like, insisting that the Undertaker was her dad. But, like, yeah. I don't have a mom. My Undertaker's the Grim Reaper. <laughs> so edgy. <laughs> yeah. What, Celine, edgy? And then you married an edgelord. Stop it. <laughs> and then I became a failout. Yep. Oh. <laughs> don't you love us? Yes. Yeah.